Welcome, everyone, to the Why Climate Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Andrew Holloway. And on today's episode, I would like to welcome Dr. Larry Barzilai from the Canadian Association of uh, Physicians for the Environment, or as we'll probably use it in the shorthand during this podcast, CAPE. So welcome, Dr. Barzilai, Larry, however you want me to say, <laughs> introduce you. Uh, um, thank you, Andrew. Uh, Larry is perfectly okay. Perfect. So we're going to jump right into our questions. As always, we have our opener. Who are you and what do you do? So I'm um, a recently retired family doctor. Um, I, w- I worked uh, in the middle of Vancouver for many years, uh, having a full service family practice. And uh, um, I think it's the greatest job in the world. And I guess I, I want to make a pitch when there's a shortage of family doctors everywhere. I, I think more people should go into family medicines because it's a really great a uh, great way to uh, to live your life. So, uh, um, so for what that's worth. Uh, um, but uh, but uh, yeah. So so as a, as a doctor, I did the usual things: uh, nursing homes, hospitals, um, assisting operations, delivering babies, and uh, now I'm retired and looking on to something else. That's awesome. Yeah, I think there could be a long debate about why there are so few doctors. As someone who did a biochemistry degree at Dalhousie and banged his head against the wall for three years trying to get into medical school. There's a whole bunch of systemic things, I think, going terribly sideways in that. But that is a deeper conversation than for us today. For sure. Um, so then I'll start with this. What started you on your journey that led you to become an edu- uh, a physician and also in many ways an educator with a focus on with CAPE and the environmental side of medicine? For most of my life, I was I was uh, a, a family doctor and, and doing my little bit for the environment, recycling here and uh, and uh, watching how much carbon I put out there, but not not really doing very much. Um, I think it was a start of having grandchildren that really um, really got me on my way, realizing that the world that they're going to enter is quite different than the world that I have lived, and it's it's uh, it's really an unfair world in a lot of ways that they're entering. Um, uh, and I saw some of the work that, that Cape was doing. I heard a, a, a one speaker that uh, dramatically impressed me and started me on my way to this uh, uh, climate activism. No, that's awesome. You're similar to my own father, he was, my, admittedly, he was a forensic accountant for the Royal Bank for years. And when grandchildren started rolling around, he started looking at sort of the actions in his own community and how he can sort of improve that and sort of in his own way, try and set up a fighting chance, as he says, for his grandchildren in terms of climate change. So that kind of then leads into why is it important for physicians, as you say, you're retiring now, but you were obviously a physician for a long time in, in Vancouver, or anyone in general who works in health, whether you know it's, it's a doctor, a nurse, or policy whips, to think about the environment and climate change more when we're talking about health as sort of part of our overall health as a country or individually. Maybe I can backtrack a bit and just talk about uh, one of the people that really inspired me um, was a guy named Bill McKibben, who's one of the client climate change gurus. Uh, I heard him talk at a function several years ago, um, and he, he wrote this book called Earth, E-A-A-R-T-H, where he talks about how the world is changing. And in his speaking, he's a fairly low key guy and presented the facts without a lot of emotion and it's quite convincing. And he, he describes a world that's that's changing, um, that's becoming a bit wilder, a bit more unpredictable. And he says we've got two choices: either to try to sustain a world that's wilder but not a lot different from the world we have now, 
or if we do nothing, we'll, we'll help create a world that's totally wild and totally unpredictable. And, and those are the options we have, but the earth will never be quite the same again. That, that, real, that really hit me hit me uh, hard. And I, I've done some other reading. Uh, people like James Lovelock is, uh, is an amazing guy who died this month at the age of 103, who, who talks about Gaia, the world, the environment, uh, being one organic whole, and whatever you do affects everything else. And, and those people really inspired me on to, to, uh, to think about a lot of these things. Sorry, I didn't really answer your question. No, that's um, okay. But uh, I just want to talk to where where I'd come where I was coming from, um, and uh, I guess one one other thing I did was got involved in the to some extent in the Canadian Medical Association. Uh, a colleague of mine, Courtney Howard, who's been quite active in the climate movement for the medical climate movement in Cape for many years, has been active in getting resolutions uh, passed at the Canadian Medical Association conventions and I participated with her and uh, we, we, we got a resolution passed that the Canadian Medical Association would would um, would print um, uh, pamphlets and educate people on the adverse effects of climate change and we got that passed with a large majority and uh, we we're quite proud of ourselves but I don't think it changed anything so <laughs> you've got to uh, you've got to choose what your battles are and try to see what the what the, uh, the repercussions might be um, and uh, so since then I, I, I've been involved with CAPE uh, it's it's a natural for me as a physician uh, this organization has been doing some incredible stuff over the years uh, um, and I, I've been acquainted with the founders of CAPE almost 30 years ago. Uh, two of the founders live in BC and are still involved in, in CAPE and it's nice to associate with them. And um, uh, we're, we're trying to get doctors involved uh, in, um, in the climate change issues and uh, lots of things we're doing to try to, uh, to educate people about what's going on. Yeah, 100%. And like as someone who when I was doing my undergrad, they would talk about sort of the idea of Gaia. It is, it sort of is an analogous, I think is the word I'm looking for, where, you know, you can't outrun a bad diet. And if the planet is not doing great, you know, you're just sort of band-aiding a bullet hole, right? Like it's, it's never going to get people as healthy as they could be if everything around them is sick or, you know, poor air quality or lack of food or water is dipping or all those sort of issues that are becoming more and more front and center as time goes on. You know, I just saw that uh, in the UK where a good chunk of my family is from, they're talking about a literally the worst drought in 500 years. Right. And, you know, we have, that's not going to help people's overall health if the planet itself is in, in bad shape, which it's becoming clearer and clearer it is. And in many ways worse than thought it is. So yeah, it's a big challenge. I guess the yin and the yang of climate change. Uh, I hear for the first time uh, the UK has an active wine industry that, because of climate change, uh, yep. now has the temperatures to produce wine. So that might be considered one of the positive effects, but there's probably more negative than positive effects. Yeah. So that kind of then leads into what? What do you think are some of the biggest challenges facing Canada when it comes to climate change at an ever increasing rate? And then sort of the heal off or effect that would be on health, whether you know doctors, in general, sort of the health continuum that exists within Canada? Well, I just want to preface that by saying that the Canadians are climate laggards. 
Uh, we're one of the biggest contributors to greenhouse gases anywhere in the world, if not the greatest. And we, uh, as Canadians, we like to talk a lot and we all say all the right things, but we're not doing much. Um, I, I compared some um, some um, um, changes in, in carbon gas output between the United States, Canada, and the UK over the last 20 years. Um, the UK has done a dramatic job and increased their carbon output by something like 33%. Even the big bad US of A has decreased theirs by 7%. And Canada's zero. We, we, haven't, we haven't moved the dial at all. Uh, we, we talk the talk, but we don't walk the walk. So we, we've got to really, really think more seriously about this. Um, and, and maybe we are the hewers of wood and the drawers of water. So we have a uh, I guess a history of of, of uh, taking natural resources out of the ground that makes it maybe somewhat more difficult for us to get online than other countries, but we we still have to do it. We're still proliferating the development of the oil and gas industry, the national gas industry, and, and even mining coal. And we've got to make changes that way. Yeah, and uh, my dad, who immigrated from the UK, always has a famous line that it, the reason why Canada has such a hard time thinking about climate change is by our very size and the amount of sort of, well, not even natural resources, but just nature we have in this country, right? Like you compare it to where he grew up in the South of England, where it's very compressed, you know, even in when he was a kid in the fifties here, we don't, we see the signs of climate change, but we don't really see the signs of climate change in, in essence. Like I'm on the East coast of Canada and I know the water temperature is getting warmer. My favorite surfing grounds are you know, it'd be a warm day on that beach was like 18 degrees in the summer in terms of water temperature. And now it's pushing into the mid twenties. But again, we have so many trees around and so much natural resources that we don't see the same things as sub-Saharan Africa. Or I was lucky enough to go to Bali a few years ago and you literally see what the effects are in your face every day. And we don't see it day to day in this country. And it allows us to kind of, as you say, put the blinders on and ignore what's actually happening on a global scale. Yeah, good point. I was at a, at a market in Ladner, one of the suburbs of Vancouver, on the weekend, uh, trying to get them to reject a, a liquefied national natural gas plant expansion there. And uh, and as doctors, we were there with white coats and stethoscopes and trying to engage people in discussion. Most people didn't even want to talk about it. I mean, they're there to buy their fruits and vegetables and to the to, to look at the crafts at the market. And fair enough. But but I would hope more, more people might be interested at least to engage us in discussion about 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 what our concerns are but most people just just aren't they carry on their merry, merry old way as you say and, and are not affected like people in the third world uh like some of the people on these uh south sea islands that are sinking or or places like bangladesh that are susceptible to floods all the time we, we don't have that I would have hoped that that after um, last summer's experience in BC, that people would be a bit more attuned with uh, 700 plus people dying due to the heat, with our with our town of Lytton burning to the ground, with our massive floods in the uh, Fraser Valley. I would have hoped that people here would be more attuned to the effects of the changing world, and I'm sure some are, but I don't think it affects the majority of the people, as, as you as you have said. Yeah, it's one of those things where, again, it comes back to like we are blessed with so much space, natural resources, you know, what what we hold is Canada. But it also then comes with the effect that it helps with those blinders. And I, I tell everyone like I when I was in Indonesia, which is 46,000 kilometers away from the closest shoppers drug mart, 
I found a shopper's drug mart bag on the beach because when I went, we donated a day of our time in my own head to try and like lessen my carbon footprint from going there. And so we helped clean a beach and we found garbage that floated from Canada to Indonesia. And you sort of, when you're, you're faced with that stark reality, it is you, your impact, even if you don't think you're impacting the global health, you are in the end, right? Even if you're not conscious of it or even aware of it. And that was one of but the- I wonder if shoppers would consider that a, a positive advertising thing, but that's <laughs> certainly more, more negative than positive. Yeah, I was, I was just like, how did a Loblaws bag get to this side of the world? Because again, like we, I'm a, I hope, but probably not most people are aware that, you know, like garbage is shipped to poor third world countries as a way to offset and blah, blah, blah. But it was just one of those things like literally just watching up on a beach and you're like, this doesn't, shouldn't be here. You know what I mean? So it was, I use that as when in time I present or talk about climate and health is like, this is the reality, you know, and we have to think in these larger scale terms. And that kind of then leads into my next question is why do you think it's important for health practitioners such as doctors and, you know, retired doctors such as yourself to advocate for action on climate change? Well, first of all, I think it's important for everybody to act uh, on, on climate change, uh, whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or, or, uh, or um, a hospital worker or an engineer, there's always something you can do and you, your profession can do. Um, so it's certainly not the exclusive um, areas of, of healthcare professionals. Um, on the other hand, we see more of the death and destruction um, and um, um, COVID was a, um, a dry run in a way. Uh, it, we see the dramatic effects it had on, on the medical system and on society, but this is small potatoes compared to what climate change is going to affect on us and on society. So uh, I, I, we have to learn from that um, how, to, how things are going to be different, how to deal with dramatic changes, how to deal with diseases such as Lyme disease that are increasing. Um, and um, we're, as health professionals, we're just more aware of, of, of some of these health issues than others. I guess the other thing is, in terms of society, we're fairly well respected. I think nurses are always at the top of people that are more respected even than doctors. And people value to some extent um, what we say. And so we want to use that that authority in a, in a positive way to try to uh, drag people along into the climate change conversations. And yeah, I think that's a really key point is you, you know, if you look at the statistics, doctors, nurses are basically at the top and through even research done in this province, you can see like when a doctor says, Oh, you should exercise a bit more. We had a prescription for health, get people outside walking more program. And it was, hugely impactful more than, you know, anything else that could be done because it comes from that sort of point of trust. And I think that's one of the big leveraging factors physicians and nurses have is they, they do have that sort of public trust more than any other public servant. I would, yeah, would wager a get, bet on that uh, when it comes to talking, saying like this could have impact on people have a tendency to listen more than say someone like me who writes policy all the time or whatever. Right. So yeah, that's a very good point. So then that kind of ho- opens up. What gives you hope for the future or in terms of climate change? Is there anything you're starting to see that uh, you hope will be better down the road? Or is it kind of gray skies right now and maybe we'll figure it out as we go further down the road? 
There's a lot of gray skies there. Um, one can get overwhelmed looking at the the possibilities and um, uh, and the things that are going to happen unless we dramatically change our ways. So um, it, it's tough not to think about a lot of those things. And I found that by going into climate action, I don't have to spend my time thinking about all these terrible things that might happen. I'm, I'm, tr I'm doing something about it. I'm, I'm trying to educate people or rally people or support positive environmental causes. That takes my my thoughts and my energy to try to do something more positive. Like an, an example of that, um, CAPE and BC is sponsoring a um, healthy climate solutions fair uh, this this weekend. Um, and one one of the one of the rationales that we're as environmentalists, we're, we're always pretty negative about things. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. And then we thought we'd try to take a bit of a more positive approach. And we're going to be featuring uh, uh, windmills and, and solar arrays and induction stoves um, and green, green hydrogen energy displays to try to show people that there are positive alternatives uh, to fossil fuels and all the negative repercussions of that is happening. So I'm feeling good about that. Um, and, and in terms of what gives me hope, it, it's young people. It's um, um, I, I, I'm always more aware of how climate change issues affect young people. When I talk to people my age at, at, uh, at the party, shall I say, I, I, I often introduce subjects of climate change and invariably the subject gets changed to something else like uh, like the stock market or house <laughs> prices. And what young people, I think, are more attuned to, to what's going on, like the big climate marks they, they organized in Vancouver 2019, uh, a la Greta Thunberg and this, the teenage group Sustainability Teens, um, led to more than 100,000 people marching in support of, uh, of positive climate initiatives uh, in Vancouver alone, and certainly other rallies uh, took place across Canada. So th that gives me hope that young people, I'm sure a lot of them are quite discouraged looking at the future, but the, but uh, if they can put that energy into into positive action, I, I think it's great. The other group that inspires me are Indigenous people. Um, when, I, when I talk about climate change with Indigenous people, I mean, this is a generalization, but by and large, they get it. They, 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 they live close to the land, they've seen the changes, uh, they, they, they know what I'm talking about when I talk about climate climate issues, and I, I, I enjoy my contacts with them. Um, recently, we were quite supportive of the Wutsuotan in northwestern BC that are trying to stop the coastal gas link uh, natural gas pipeline. Um, and uh, I, I find I can really relate to these people because they, they, uh, they, they intuitively understand the environmental issues more so than a lot of other people do. Yeah, I've been very lucky to work with Indigenous bands in this province and in Nova Scotia, and it is very much, they don't see it as separate, but it's all analogously together, and you can't first, you know, take away the person from the environment and vice versa, so they very much have that ingrained into them, and it's, a, it's more a part of them in a deeper meaning, generally. And, you know, we're using, I'm using overgeneralizations there, but yeah. Sure. Um, so, that leads into sort of the last question I have for you, which is, what is the one question you wish I asked you during our time, and how would you respond? Well, the um, do do I have hope for the future? I think you did did a uh, did allude to that, um, yeah. um, and um, um, 
I guess deep down, I'm, I'm fairly pessimistic uh, because I don't see us changing in, in, in the positive ways we should be. Uh, I'd love to be proven wrong um, and to hope that, that people will, will get it um, and uh, understand the changes and do something about it. Uh, particularly are interested in the more conservative and Republican groups that always seem to be supportive of fossil fuel industries and opposed to to climate initiatives um, because their their grandchildren are gonna are gonna be affected any less than my grandchildren so I think one of our goals should be try to convince people to the right of center who tend to be less climate activists so this is a, an issue that affects all of us so that's one direction that I hope that Cape will be going. Mm. No, it's, that is true. It's selling to everyone, not just the already converted is the harder challenge. It is a daunting mountain to climb. Um, I always try to end these interviews on a positive note. Talking about climate change and health can be sometimes like, as I say, climbing Mount Everest with a parachute attached to your back. It seems very overwhelming and almost impossible. Um, so if you had one spot in the world you would love to visit, see or live, where would it be? Um, it's got to it's got to be Canada. I mean, we are so blessed to live in a country like Canada with so few people, so incredible natural resources. I mean, the, the I had grandchildren visiting from Israel um, two weeks ago, and there they have one lake in the country, and and, and here we we have, and I think Ontario alone has two hundred and fifty thousand lakes, and just the opportunities that we have here that people in other countries don't have is just incredible because that's a fairly Israel is a fairly compact compact place uh, they don't have the same uh, access to mother nature that we have here and the fact that we go we can go camping in the woods we can go hiking uh, in the woods and uh, be away from any other human being and and and, and exists in the woods we are so fortunate to have this and we need to hopefully preserve this and and um and give us a better understanding of what other people don't have and maybe share some of this with them uh, to some extent yeah i i again having a similar to you family visit from away my whenever a family would come from england they and we'd be driving what is famously around halifax to peggy's cove which it, i mean it's the postcard of nova scotia but they would always be floored at like, well, how much does this oceanfront property cost? And be like, you know, this was in the nineties, let's say $60,000 an acre or something like that. And they would be like, that's millions. Where would they come from? Millions of pounds. And it's that we are so lucky, but we also then need to preserve that luck. And for me, I always say it's the high North. I would love to get really high up to the North and really spend some time up in a place that is completely foreign to what I normally live in. So yeah, I really, really appreciate your time. It's been a fascinating chat. I won't, even a retired doctor is a busy doctor, at least in the back of my head. So I won't take any more of your time. Uh, and I, again, for any questions people have, they can, uh, they will, my email will be in the show notes along with some of the links to the books uh, Larry mentioned. And thank you, Larry, for everything. Thank you, Andrew. It's been a real pleasure and uh, congratulations on the work that you're doing and uh, please keep it up.